Kick it off. Hella Black, episode 134. As always, like and subscribe. Most importantly, if you can afford it by your way of maneuvering through capitalism, please subscribe to our Patreon. Patreon.com. One dollar. Backs we got a hundred Can we hold two dollars? We don't have a dollar tier. Nah, but you feel me? Even if you don't want the tier, at least let me hold a dollar, you know? Oh, you can do just random donations? Yeah. yeah. I ain't you just ain't gonna get nothing from it. Five dollars, you know. Oh, you can just donate. Five dollars is with a tier start, but you know. Well, if you would like to get access to extended contents, um, Subscribe to our Patreon, especially for this episode. You probably gonna get some extended. Yeah, this is great be an extended episode for sure. Gold content. Patreon.com backslash Hella Black Pod, and also if you can't afford five dollars, because that is some people's situation, you can still contribute by just liking, subscribing, commenting wherever you like to listen to your podcast. At. Five star review. Yeah, not four stars. Five. Five star. We need it. If it ain't five, just <laughs> don't give it. <laughs> We don't want it. <laughs> like and subscribe, reviews, all that. We need it. Um, like B said, you're going to get some extended content because this is a very, very, very special podcast for all of us in this world. Maybe not for Ra, but I know <laughs> for me, a boss. And Ty, this is, we're going to say this is Ty's first time on the podcast. So we got two. Even though it's not his first time. Even though it's not. But we can say that one really didn't count. So this one will count more. Ty's right, first for sure. time on the podcast. So we got two guests with us. We got Ty and we got Ra. And so this is going to be, you know, a very a very good, very important po- podcast. For those who don't know, Ty is a member of People's Program Central Committee, uh, a comrade, been organizing with us close to almost its inception, which is 2018, 2019. Something like that, like three yeah. years, three, four. Yeah. And so. What is Ra time? Yeah. What is time? It's a blessing. And because of Ty, we met Ra. Who, in a matter, I've only been training here for like four or five months, but I feel like I've known him a lifetime already, uh, based on the knowledge, inspiration, and punchlines he has dropped on me <laughs> the in, king uh, in, his, of in his many classes. <laughs> so, uh, damn, Rob was just talking about sign design. We should work in some claps. So y'all give it up for Ryan and Ty. Not actual claps. <laughs> I know I wasn't going to do it. Right, yeah. Come on, man. Y'all you give it up for trust. Ryan and Ty. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? We're going to let our OG kick it off. Ryan, introduce yourself one time. Uh, hello, people out there in the internet world. Uh, my name is Ra Karma Young. Everyone calls me Ra. Uh, I have a gym on San Pablo and uh, the Nobi, North Oakland. Don't Berkeley. call it Nobi. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. That's how we started. Hey, it might be some white don't people listening to this. True. True. True, but we don't got to relate to them. This is hella black. It's not catered to it's them. It's hella black. Just say this. I know, overstand this. I cater to all humans <laughs> that have green dead presidents in their pockets <laughs> to come get some of this tutelage from me. No, but seriously, though, I mean, I, I really do feel there's only one race, the human race. So if you want to call it no if you want to call it, I'm on the blade and the pole. Oh, God. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, see, see, now I'm going from two, one to the next. Oh, that's some no, dialectics right there. I, Duality. San Pablo, uh, right on the edge of Emeryville in Oakland. The gym has been in the, been around since '96. It's went through so many different names. The first name was Team Bushido. Then it was Amsterdam Kickboxing. Then it was Cheetah Muay Thai. Now it's CMT Athletics. I specialize in uh, Muay Thai, boxing, jujitsu, fitness and conditioning. Uh, well, yeah, we I've been here for 26 years in the same place. 
one of my favorite coaches, Ty. I mean, we gave you somewhat of an introduction, but you know, introduce yourself to the people. Right on. Uh, I'm a new African, and I'm an organizer with People's Programs from Berkeley, California. So you may know me from around here, riding skateboards, taking photos, and as of the last year, uh, kicking and punching things with eight limbs. I think that summarizes it. <laughs> Yes, sir. Shout out your uh, Instagram, man. Come on. Let the people know you're oh, a photographer, man. Y'all might on. know him from <laughs> all the photos from. that are on our blog. If you want to our, yeah. if you want to see my politics in visual form, uh, you can catch me at three times bad.jpg on Instagram. If you want to see my photos, uh, you can find me at hanging on the telephone, trying to do my part to make revolution irresistible and showcase the beauty that I see here in Oakland, California. There's a few pieces on the People's Programs medium um, that features photos from both Ty and Raven. And I want to say on uh, Guided by Ideology, those photos come from Ty and from uh, Missionary or Revolutionary. Those photos come from Ty. So y'all should check out his work again. Yeah, so it's an honor to have y'all both on the pod for real. Hey, y'all probably going to hear some uh, background noise of Ty getting up and sitting down taking some flicks, but you know. Oh, is that okay during this? Hey, it's, I don't care. Oh, I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I figured you said, oh, I got my camera, man. We on. <laughs> Say less. Like we gave some uh, pretext before we started, we like to kick each podcast off with Black Joy. Um, before, do we have any, well, we haven't dropped an episode for people to respond, so. Um, we gonna start with Ra. Give us your black joy. Uh, I guess I, my black joy at this moment is uh, I'm on a podcast with young people. I I I scoff at podcasts. I think, wait, a podcast? When I first heard of a podcast, wait, just people talking? People <laughs> like to listen to that? So uh, my black joy is I'm here with y'all, young brothers, on the podcast. Hella black. Come yes, on, sir. Come on, Ty. What about you? Um. Uh, I'm gonna do two. The first one is sitting here on this pod for show. I think that between Ra and y'all as representatives as people's programs, like this room really makes me the person that I am. Um, what's in this room is really the shit that I stand on in my life. So seeing this come together means a lot. Um, second one is my little cousin's 18th birthday last night. So oh, right I'm on. feeling ancient. Happy but birthday to you. <laughs> same, happy birthday. Hey, Ra called us young, so we. Yeah. Damn, you feel like ancient, bro? I feel like you the youngest I one. I remember, I remember, like that. I remember yeah. when my cousin was a baby. It's crazy. Yeah, no, but, that, that, you know, oh, like, oh my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I got to see, you know, my granny, my pops, my mom, everybody last night. So y'all had a good time. Yeah, rocking. Get them to take a group photo. That shit is like pulling teeth. I don't know what it is, bro. Yeah, I think also you have a camera, what makes it feel like an actual thing, versus like when you pull out the phone. Let me get a flick of you real yeah. quick. Like that's different than like, hey, I need y'all to get in this specific framing for this. And like I say to y'all, it's like every nobody wants to take the picture, but then everybody's glad that the picture exists. Oh, it's always hard. Then they'd be like, oh, I'm so glad we had this. But yeah. and then the next year, it's like, a little easier. Hopefully. Yeah. That's my black joy. <laughs> Appreciate y'all. Mine. <clears throat> Damn, I'm trying to see if I want to do future or something that already happened. Well, so I'll have to do mine based off yours if it goes a certain way. Yeah. Because I have an idea what your future might yeah. be. Of course, you know, Jaleel about to be here, so I can't. Uh, yeah, I'm just juiced. Like next week, like we mentioned in uh, Ground In last week, I feel like this is an epoch for our organization in terms of, you know, we hear about these folks that have done this work, especially with it being Black August, you know what I'm saying? Like, And so it's to have someone who has really guided us 
uh, from historical and both contemporary times, right? Ideologically, I'm just juiced. Um, and not to make it about me, I, I think about it as far as like the entire organization. I'm so just, even yeah. just a historical standpoint for him, being able to come back yeah. you know, over 50 years free. Yeah. Being, yeah. And like, you know, I didn't got to go to a bunch of your family events and stuff. And so I can only imagine how everybody feeling and like knowing that I'm gonna be able to like a part of that, taking them around the town and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm just juicing in. My little sister uh, left for college like two days ago, I think. And I'm gonna go see her uh, like when school actually starts or like her actual move-in day. She was a part of like some like program allowed her moving. What school is she going to? Uh, University of San Diego. Oh, okay. She was a part of some program that like allowed you to come in um, a little bit earlier and move That's into fun. your dorm. And so I'm gonna go in when like the actual like orientation and all that. Bruh. It's very nice. I've been telling her, you know, like. It's very nice. It's beautiful, bruh. Yeah. Outside of all the Catholicism, it is a very beautiful <laughs> campus. <Yeah. laughs> very Especially after reading that, I saw that, brother. quite red. Bruh. Like yeah. scary. I'll be like, y'all all around these Mexicans, y'all act like this? Okay, I guess. Plus, you know, the and beach they, they vibes got, and shit, yeah. so it's like, it's They got hella hoods in San Diego, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Skyline Park. They got hoods out there, man. Pyrus for sure in San Diego. Yeah. It's, but I'm juiced to go out there and kick it with her. about you? Man, I'm just for this meal I'm finna have tonight. That's the immediate joy that I'm about to manifest into my life. Um, and then just uh, facilitating the cadre uh, for Soledad Brother during Black August and just being able to see everybody growth, and including my own as like a facilitator and educator and teacher, but just to be able to see where the cadre started at to seeing all the growth within the people, you know, and the organization growing with us and yeah. seeing that uh, Black August table expand. Definitely been Enjoying that, enjoying that struggle. Yeah, my cadre was lit too. Y'all did, mm -hmm. yeah. My shit was lit too. Yeah, sure. Both of them was lit. It's, it's funny though. The same things we was talking about early on, like the same things came up. It, oh, yeah. it just be interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, we gonna dive into it and pass it to the guests, the, the guests, the people who we really wanted to to have talk. <laughs> Y'all hear enough of me and Boss, but first passing it to Ra. Um, you gave a little insight about the gym, how it's been, mm -hmm. different names and whatnot. But yeah, like tell us how how it came to be and, and your involvement with it, and what brought what, what brought you to this arena. Uh, so I, I started doing martial arts formally, informally, when I was like five years old. And my, it's funny. Uh, Ty asked me earlier if I knew or know of if anybody in my family was in the Panthers. I don't know, but like the time I was born, like all the black people I was around, everybody was revolutionary. Like everybody was African. Like I don't even think I called myself a black person until like probably like I was like 11 or 12. Like I was, I was always African. Like when I was a kid, the song Old McDonald was Old Brother Malcolm. So I was raised, for lack of better words, Afrocentrically. Um, first, my first martial art instructor was actually a brother named Rasan Khan. He actually was also uh, a bodyguard for Richard Pryor, uh, uh, Eddie Murphy, and Jamie Foxx. And so that's how I got into martial arts. But in the beginning, it was like we were like the martial arts I was taught was it was in line with revolutionary tactics. Like it wasn't like ring applica applicable. It was like you learn how to like do something and then get away. Mm -hmm. And this iteration of martial arts was a byproduct of 
honestly, I had a girlfriend that got on my nerves. I needed an outlet. So uh, by happenstance, I found when I was uh, working for the YMCA, I was a lifeguard. And by happenstance, I found a, a cardio kickboxing class, but it was actually an actual real Muay Thai class, but being taught under the guise of a cardio kickboxing class. And I took the class. Was this in LA or was this in Oakland? No, no, this was, this was uh, a Broadway YMCA. This was, uh, uh, probably the end or mid 95, maybe the end of 95. And uh, it was my time doing Muay Thai and getting introduced to Western boxing and jujitsu and wrestling and stuff, this iteration of my adulthood doing martial arts, it was quite fast. It was like a, a snowball that turned into an avalanche because I started doing the class and I would only do the class on a Saturday because that's when it was, it was offered. And I did the class like twice. And the actual Thai guy wasn't even there. He had a, a guy that was helping him by the name of Willie. Uh, Filipino dude but he was like a Canadian karate champion or something like that so I did the class like two or three times and then the Thai guy came back I did the class one time and then he was like wait you did this before I goes, no I did martial arts before but Ramadan came and so I, I observed and fasted for Ramadan so I didn't do the class for a whole nother month and then when I went back the Filipino guy wasn't there and at the time, I was also a school teacher. Um, I had actually just started working at the Y because I wanted a free membership, and so I only worked there like one day out the week. I just wanted a free membership, and I had become I had, was a lifeguard the previous summer, so I was like I could just be a lifeguard and then have a free membership. So me taking the class with the Thai guy after Ramadan, the Filipino guy wasn't there, and then he was needing help to do something. So I just because I was a teacher. And also because my mom is a teacher, education-wise, as well as dance, I watched her like teach dance classes. So I had people line up, and I was authoritative like a teacher. And he was like, wait, you did this before? I was like, I'm a teacher. Like this, You could teach ABCs. You could teach anything. So I helped him out, and then I would only train on Saturdays. And then one day he was like, you want to do this for real? And I was like, okay, I guess. And then so I went down to King's Boxing Gym, 35th and East 9th. It's a very venerable, old-school boxing gym. And when I mean old, you walk in there, even if you don't work out, you come out, you stink. It's old. Like, <laughs> it's old. It's old. Um, so I went there, and I actually, after that, it was like I was, I was hooked. And so I went there, and I would train even after work. I would train like I would go there. I would get there like five, six o'clock, maybe six o'clock, and I would stay there to his clothes. And I did that all the time for like the first Monday through Friday for six months. And then one day, six months in, he go, hey, you think you might want to have a fight? And I go, okay. So then I went and fought, and I fought at uh, Shotokai Casino. I, I don't remember a lot about a lot of my fights. I can honestly say that. Not because I got concussed or anything like that. It just... It was so many, and it was like just so many. It was it's too many. So like if you ever ask me how many fights I got, I would have to literally sit down and think about it. Uh, but I do remember like 
certain ones, like the first one for sure. It was at Shodokai Casino. It was Indian Reservation Land. And the way California works is uh, they got casinos all over the place, but the casino specifically on Indian land, you could do what you want to do. So like the California Athletic Commission doesn't come in. So sometimes the fights, you could have a paramedic there or you may not have a paramedic. Damn. You could have, <laughs> you could have. Okay, let's make sure everybody have a headgear on and make sure we're doing it safe. Or full rules Muay Thai, elbows to the head. We don't care. Go ahead. So when when I first fought, the first fight I had, like I was just under assumption, like okay, I'm fighting, so I didn't wear anything. I just wore boxing gloves. Where my opponent, he wore like headgear and shin guards, and then it just looked weird. But I remember, like. Everybody thought I was first they thought I was somebody else. Like they thought I was better than what I was. And I was like, no, like this is my first fight. Slow your roll. And then I heard people talking, they thought I was from Europe. Like, I guess they thought I was like French, Senegalese or something. Because like at the time, my mom didn't come. My mom only been to one of my fights because she acted so much like a fool. Like my mom is a great <laughs> woman, but mm, she can't come to my fights. Uh but because my mom is a dancer, she predominantly did West African dance from Senegal, Mali, Gambia. She had a traditional, uh, it's called a booba. It's what the people wear in West Africa. And so it eerily looks like a fight robe. And so I remember the first time I ever fought, that's what I had on. I had on the whole African garb. So yeah. I guess now that I'm talking and telling y'all, I guess <laughs> people could have thought I was somebody that I wasn't. So I mean... <laughs> When I fought, they thought you was from Europe, not Senegal. They, yeah, they, thought, they thought I was. I don't know, cause I remember they was like somebody said, like, "Wait, you fought before?" I was like, "No, this is my first fight." Well, it's because they had. Was it because like the 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 pizzazz or like I, this was pre? Or you had that fight, drip yeah. on you. I don't know. I, I guess it was the drip. It's the a drip. I don't know, <laughs> but I just remember fighting and like I I I, I scraped the dude. Like I, I scraped him. Like it wasn't a very hotly contested fight and. um and then from then on, it was just like, it was a snowball effect. It was like, it's like fight, fight, fight. And then so that was a sanctioned fight, even though it was on Indian reservation. Like it was like that went down. But then they had these things when I first started, they were called smokers. Now they don't have them at all. But the last time they did have one, it was probably like, my daughter's 13, so like 15 years ago, it was it was called an intramural where it would happen within the gym and people would come and it's not really sanctioned. But when I first started, like in the early 90s, they had those all over the place. And like literally, if you were in the, the community, you could, if you were lucky, you could probably like fight three times in one month. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the, the validity of those fights then in my opinion, or what sanctioned amateur fights are now. Like, back when I first started, like, those smokers, what they called them, and the reason why they call them smokers actually comes from the boxing world. Uh, like, they will have these matches back in the day where the reason why they call them smokers because everybody would be smoking in them. They would be smoking cigars, cigarettes. Like, it would just be a smoking... Yeah, you see that shit, like, in the movies or in the old documentaries. Yeah, so that's why yeah. they call them smokers. So... Like I said, they would happen, like all the schools would try to throw them because two reasons. You would try to throw them for your school to get people to come to your school, but then it was actually a financial big money grab. Wait, this is here? Yeah, uh. this is in the Bay. It was like, like the one- And this I, was Muay Thai? Yes. The ones I fought at mostly used to be at this gym 
that is no longer in the bay anymore. They have them. It's you see the bags and the yeah. gym. It's called Fairtex. Mm -hmm. So the, I used to fight for the gym Fairtex. It's a brand, but it's also a gym. They used to be. It used to be two of them. Wait, no, it used to be one of them in Thailand. There were one in Japan. There was one in America. No, two in Japan and one in America. Then it went to being one in Thailand and then one in America and then one in Japan. Now, if my memory serves me correct, there it's only in Thailand now. But the smokers was like, they was where it's at. Like people used to get knocked out, broken limbs. I know I'm gleefully talking about that, but like it was, it was good level of contact, good level of competition. Since then, they dumbed it down immensely to make it applicable to the masses. I'm kind of torn about how I feel about that. Like I don't think everything is for everybody, but I think everybody can do anything they want to do if you put forth the initiative. But I don't think you should just dumb it down so like everybody gets a trophy. That so you went from the YMCA yes. to that first fight on the reservation yes. to doing hella smokers and so i did so actually yes so it was it was opposite like most people would do smokers before they did a match inside of a ring like what you did yeah you did a different yeah so first. i did this i did the fight first and then what happened with me was i don't know if it was because how i look or reputation preceding me like a lot of times when i was beginning doing this I would train for a fight and then people would find out they were fighting me and then they would cancel the fight. Like even my trainers just be like, I don't know why people don't want to fight you. So honestly, in the time in which I was from amateur to pro and then like, not really amateur, but when I turned pro, cause I turned pro quite fast. Uh, I retired hella times because I just got disillusioned. Cause like I would train and train and train for a fight and then it would just get canceled. Like I had, I think four fights in a row canceled after yeah. I did the training camps. Yeah. After I didn't go out with my friends, got hella laundry from training, soreness. No, no fight, no fight. And then at that point, it was like more so a monetary thing because I didn't sign and y'all supposed to pay me this money and y'all not paying me. Oh, no, I'm, I was upset. Yeah, go ahead. How long were training camps for you? Because I think people who don't train don't understand oh, how much so, of a sacrifice. So, so this is the thing. So like, I, when I started training until I retired, like I always used to train when I was training. Now, when I became a pro, it kind of changed. Like I always trained, but I would just turn it up when I got ready for a fight. And usually if I was always training, that was Monday through Saturday. I never really trained on Sundays. But then when I was training for a fight, it was still Monday through Saturdays. But it just got increased. So if I was training Monday through Saturday, it would be like I may get up in the morning and run for an hour or I just run in the afternoon for 30 minutes. But when I was training for a fight in a training camp and training camp usually lasts anywhere from three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. So like maybe a month or less than a month. Um, that was for sure. I got up in the morning every day and ran for an hour. That was for sure. I did every day three hours worth of training now mind you when i was fighting <laughs> it wasn't like it is now like i know people now who just only fight and if their job may be they might train people when i was fighting i was a school teacher as well as i trained people for muay thai and i was fighting mm -hmm. so 
it wasn't like it, like when I was doing it, it was something you you really had to love to do it. Like it wasn't something you was like, oh, I'm gonna make a living doing this, because you couldn't make a living doing it. You had to do something else. But I never really did Muay Thai for the money. Although, if you talk to any of my trainers who are all Thai, they would be like, uh, yeah, you do it for money. You don't do it for free. Because in Thailand, there, there is no such thing as amateur Muay Thai. Thai people will not let you hit them for nothing. Like, they're like, yo, pay me some money. You can hit me. Yeah. How did you get involved with the Thais that were training you? And for folks who don't know, you mentioned you were fighting for Fairtex. If yeah. you're on the outside world, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. Fairtex is really a pillar of Muay Thai. Well, okay. Or the culture around it. So, so let me go backwards. So, Fairtex actually originally, it's a guy named Philip. Sorry, I keep getting the table. Good. Philip Wong. He's still alive. I don't know how old he is. He's probably like my dad's age, or he might be in his 80s. So, originally, he's a Chinese guy, but he grew up in Thailand. So, he has children who are, I guess, Thai, Chinese, whatever. But he originally, Fairtex was a textile company. I don't know what they made, but it was like textile. But he had two loves, Philip. He loved, well, three, I guess. He loved dog fighting, because in Thailand <laughs> it's not the same. Like, they don't be tripping like that. Like, you can have dog fighting. <laughs> uh, he also loved cock fighting. And for those who don't know, I, I'm not talking about penises. I'm talking about, I'm talking about roosters. Well, I don't know. I mean, some, you know, roosters. Cock-a-doodle-doo, those things. That's why they call them cocks, cock-a-doodle-doos. Um, so they have cockfighting where they fight. And, and again, I'm speaking to American people in a lot of countries in the world, that's not frowned upon. They have those roosters fight, and then when the rooster die, they actually go cook the rooster. So, I mean. No Makes waste. sense. No waste, you know? Yeah, no waste. But, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of messed up, though. If you watch the cocks fight, it's kind of messed up. But they actually train I wonder those, what that chicken would taste the, like the with, thing the with the chickens roosters, all fighting. Though, they train Tough, those roosters stressed. like fighters. <laughs> They train them like fighters. Like, I've actually watched <laughs> guys train those things. So, uh, I start off with the Thai guys by divine intervention. When I had that girlfriend, and if she ever hears this, she's going to be like, you did it again. Because I did say this the last time. Somebody wrote something about me. And I said she was my muse. She got on my nerves, and I need to hit stuff. So, I ain't gonna even drop her name. I feel like it, but I ain't. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> so when when she was getting on my nerves, and like I needed an outlet, like she used to go off on me, and then I was like, I'm gonna just go for a walk. Then the rocks turn into runs, then the runs turn into push-ups. Then I was like, Ooh, I need to get back into martial arts. So when I said that, literally, I said out loud, "It would be cool if I found some Asian dude to take me under his wing," and I found too many Asian dudes, and then and they happened. To actually, well, the first one's actually Filipino. That's Willie Fabros. I got to give it up and shout his name out because he lives in the Philippines now. Whenever I get a chance, I'm going to go to the Philippines and find him and kick it with him. But he was the first one. And then it was, I'm going to say all his name. This one guy, I say his name. Y'all hear me? He cool, but he ain't cool. He's the name not to be mentioned. Okay, his name is uh, Chancedet Chantaneo. He goes by the name of Cheetah. Uh, he actually has a gym on the same street as mine. San Pablo, but in Richmond. I just gave him a shout out. I don't even know why. But got to give respect where respect due. So I trained with him, and then he was like, I'm going to take you and have you train with some of my friends. Now, little did I know, the friend he took me to train with is a living legend in Muay Thai. 
and I'm really gonna shout his name out. His name, his real name is Anusha Chayasin. Most people won't know that, but but I like that's my brother from another. But everybody will know his his fight name. He is, his fight name is the Wooden Man or Jongsanan. He is world renowned. Like he's literally like if people want to fanboy about Muay Thai, he's probably one of the guys that they fanboy about. Now, I didn't know any of this until recently. Not only did he train me and whoop my ass and really give me Muay Thai, that, wait, can I cuss? Yeah. That motherfucker is only like 20 days older than me. And I didn't know that until like 2021. And like, I used to give him so much respect. And I used to be like, oh, oh, oh. And then when I found out, oh, he was like, man, dude, fuck you, bud. Like, he used to tell me I was lazy, blood. I'm lazy because I'm old just like you. Yeah. And then so... I, I was taken to them and Thai style. If you go to a gym in Thailand, they don't, first of all, they don't call them gyms. They call them camps because you stay there like a dormitory style. Secondly, Thai style of training people is, is probably synonymous across Asia. You don't pick your trainer, your teacher, your, your teacher, your trainer, they pick you. So the way camps work, if it's a whole bunch of Thai trainers, they tell you to start moving around and then they just watch you and then they talk and then they figure out who they like and who they want to train. So my trainer picked me. Now, I didn't know this then. I know it now. He was recently to America. Like he had only been in America before he started training me maybe three or four months. Mm -hmm. So when he started training me, he really didn't speak English. Like he learned how to speak English while he was training me. So a lot of ways when we trained, it was like, I didn't say nothing, he didn't say nothing. And then if I messed up, he would just hit me. And I'm like, okay, I, that's bad. Don't do that anymore. And so you said, how did I start training with those Thai guys? I literally asked Allah, I asked the universe, mm -hmm. and it came to me in droves. Not only did I get Jongsan, I got Bunker. Uh, Bunker is at uh, Rise. He's also a living legend. And his legend is different than Jongsan because Bunker is like a really short Thai guy. He's really fun size. But he is like so loving. And he's like, he calls everybody honey. And like, if you've seen him, he's like, honey, how are you doing? But he used to straight murk people when he fought. Like he would run across the ring, kick him in the leg, and then he would help him up. And and I seen him do it so many times to where the refs in the fight used to get mad at him. Don't help him up. Don't help him up. And he'd be like, honey, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> but he would murk people with a smile on his face. Mm -hmm. And then another guy, another Thai guy then was in. In they called him the quiet storm because he was really quiet. But then when he fought, he would Fuck you up. That's what that's what Muay Thai has has shown me. Like coming, especially coming in here, I'm like, cause you know how we grow up. You feel me? Like yeah, a lot of a lot of bark, but our a lot of brash. You feel me? Or you know, like or you like you learn to see a fighter as specific things just based off. I'm okay. Like yes. niggas who look like this, like yes. based off my condition and based yes. off Nick, like oh he got him. Then you come in here, you like oh I would have ran up on this nigga on the street. And, got and so broke <laughs> I remember that's the one thing. Sorry, broke get you. Oh, that, that's the one thing that. Like martial arts has always taught me from the inception, five years old, that it doesn't really matter what you look it's like. Very humbling. Although I lost martial art because I went through puberty and then it was kind of like martial arts or girls. And I was like, eh, girls. So then that's when I stopped doing martial arts. But then when I went back to martial arts, again, because of a female, because of a beautiful spirit, I realized 
in this iteration of martial art, because the martial art I did as a child, it was what they call traditional martial arts. It's the martial arts where a man tells you all he can do but never shows you. This iteration of martial arts that I'm doing now as an adult that I'm showing you guys is what the martial artists call combative, mm -hmm. where I laugh because martial means warlike. So these new style or these marsh guys who call themselves martial artists, they're really lying to themselves by not knowing how to actually whoop somebody's ass. Whereas the guys that I've met in this last iteration of me doing martial arts, the ones who actually could beat you up, could like break you off, they're the nicest, they're the sweetest, they're the most humble people because I think I read it somewhere is that the person who has the greatest propensity for violence usually can exhibit the most love because they know what they actually can do and how they can do it. And then the person who really can't really punch their way out of a wet paper bag with scissors in their hand, mm -hmm. they don't know what it's like because they don't know. And like, it's a trip. This time in this place, this 26 year, this is the most amount of black people that I've had in the gym at one time. And it's the most amount of black men that I've had at the gym at one time. How's that and been for you? It's interesting because in the yesteryears, I used to be just like, why do more black people don't come? But then honestly, in the yesteryears of me doing this in my 20s, I didn't, I actually, with the exception of like my real close friends, and when I say real close, my friends from like who know my mama, who like I grew up with that we had sleepovers, like I didn't really hang out with a lot of, a lot of black people. Like I was around everybody. And then mostly I was around Thai guys because I was always training. And then it was only one other brother that trained with me the whole time I trained. And dare I say on this podcast, because I know this is frowned upon nowadays and but back in my day, he was the whitest brother I ever met. That's not frowned upon. <laughs> okay, that gets called out on this podcast. Well, if you call somebody the blackest white person you ever met, then we would now be frowned upon. Yeah. Okay, so I got to even say this. My, <laughs> I got to even say this. My Thai trainers used to say this to him all the time. And then at first, I used to be like, wait, well, y'all can't do that. But then I'd be like, well, maybe y'all can. They used to always be like, because his name is James Cook. Now, I'm going to shout out. <laughs> what, you laughing because I'm saying his name? Yes. yes. <laughs> his name? Too Government. No, he's just blasting. No, he's I'm, I'm blasting, but I'm going to tell you why I'm going to put him on blast. I'm going to put him on blast because he is a civil rights attorney. He works with John Burris's office. And he does a lot of great things in the community. But he lives bi-coastal between here and Minnesota. He's a great dude. His wife is a doctor. They got a great family. But he talked, dude, what's up? Like, what's up, dude? Like, what's up? And like to the point to where, I swear to God, I've heard the Thai trainer say several times, hey, why you talk like that? Dude, what's up? Dude, what's up? You sound like a white guy. You're supposed to be like, yo, 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 what's up? <laughs> like black guy. And then I remember the first time they did that, I was like, hey, well, you can't, you can't do that. They go, why? Why not? Why we can't do that? I go, you guys saw like, you guys talk like that? And white guy talk like, dude, dude, dude. And I go, I guess from your point of view, you, you, you are right. They, that was right. But, but James Cook, he, he, he was the whitest brother I ever met. But I'm going this to say is that when I was training, and then I would, you know, try to get brothers to come to this gym. They, first thing, the brothers didn't want to kick. Oh, man, y'all don't want to kick. What I'm going to kick for? Okay, now, just a joke about us is that a lot of times we work out our upper bodies, but not so much our lower bodies. So mm -hmm. I kind of understand why most brothers don't want to kick. They don't even want nobody to see their legs. They too skinny. 
But then on the flip side, the one thing I know that we have in our community is that we've seen so much trauma that we just gotta put on the trauma jacket and walk out in the world like, what? What? Even though that ain't really us. Like, we just gotta wear that jacket. So a lot of times, what I found is that in the hood, <laughs> we can talk like we can fight, but we actually don't know how to fight. And I saw that when I started training with people. And like, I even seen like some of the white boys I trained with who was spooked of brothers. I could see them spooked. But now I'll be like, hey, blood, white dude, come here. You can beat that dude up. No, you, bro, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, hey, blood, <clears throat> don't listen to what he say. Don't watch his movement. Just punch him and see what happens. So it don't really matter. You know what I'm saying? I could, I could tell you what. And I definitely want Boston Ty to speak to this. Like I know what brought us, and that's, I think it's important that we speak to this on the on the podcast too, because we okay. always try to sp we always try to bring stuff back to like the ideology, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically for us, revolutionary nationalism, yes. the New African Independence Movement. What brought me here? I'm gonna give you a. There's a real world example, and there's an ideological example okay. too that brought me here. But let's just think about like self defense. <laughs> yeah. You feel me? Um, and like so, anyone who's pushing the rhetoric of self defense, specifically like the People's War and armed yes. struggle. You, we talk about why the ties weren't conquered, right? Because they were using yeah. Muay Thai. Yes, and like, it was not conquered at all. You know, and sometimes you're going to get into it. We talk about, you know, we listen to the, uh, like the James, the James, Carr James Carr interview of him talking about being in prison and like the guards coming in and yeah. uh, listen to uh, Baba Shaka's podcast mm -hmm. and like uh, saying that Comrade taught him close combat comrade martial who? arts. Uh, George, sorry. Uh, who? You George Jackson. George Jackson, yeah. yeah. Just so people teaching know. them, teaching them uh, close quarters martial arts and stuff. Even you hear stories from Jaleel, like, oh, yeah, yeah we using their sparring. Like, we was days, really, like, days. You talking about they really taking hours, spending time. So it was like all these things happened. I went to New York seeing Jaleel, yeah. reading more, reading this stuff, uh, having these experiences. I'm like, bro, I really got to up my shit. And at the same time, Ty had kept talking about your gym. Okay. And so after I say this, bro, I definitely want them to speak to it, like how we tie this back to the ideology. And then definitely you want to speak to like why self-defense is important, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I was in, I had a show. I was working at a festival in Southern California, like mm -hmm. IE, right? And this nigga had cut like the whole, we in Target. This nigga cuts the whole line. I'm talking about, but the line long as fuck. You feel me? And I'm like, you already know on top of town. I'm like, nigga, <laughs> hey, blood, you cutting. Yeah. He like, oh shit, my bad, bro. Like calm as hell, right? Yeah. He like, oh my bad, I didn't realize. Mind you, the line long as fuck. Yeah. He fucking, oh my bad, bro. And he just keep going on his transaction. I'm like, nigga, you just gonna keep on going? He said, I said sorry. And he turned his back and he had on some jujitsu shit. <laughs> you said you seen his ear too. Huh? And he had cauliflower. You had to turn that shit down. I had to turn it down. I had to turn it down. I had to turn it down. It was dialectics, bro. I never felt more like I made a, I made the right decision. I'm like I like I trust my hands, you know, and that's the yeah. problem with niggas. Like niggas trust their hands too much, and you come in here and you realize, bro, this is just but an element of it. Yeah. And the way that we was growing up fighting, just like you know, punching. I told you, I was like, shit. A lot of times I grew up like shirts off, no grabbing. You yeah. was like, nigga, I fight however I want. Yes. I'm like that's not how I grew up. Yes. It was nigga, you take your shirt off, you can't grab, you just yeah. throw punches. And so that was like, I came back, I came to your gym the week, the next week. I said, I never want to feel like that again. And even now, this nigga knows jujitsu. Even though I know a little bit of Muay Thai, he probably still had me in the arm bar somewhere well, tapping out. But You know, it's funny you brought that up. Uh, so I, I was raised by my mom. And like I, my mom, I was, I'm originally from Los Angeles. Uh, born in Inglewood, raised primarily in Compton. And then so like all my mom's brothers 
every last one of them are original Crip members. Like, original, I mean, like, from the 60s. Um, so, squabbing and fighting, like, that was, like, all intrinsic for my childhood. Like, but when what happened was my mom moved me up here, and it was just she and I. So, like, martial arts became also integral because I didn't ever have nobody to get my back. But the funny thing is about fighting and, like, like people having preconceived notions because for me, I was always tested because I ain't a big dude. So then I had to learn how to fight. So I think people still to this day test me because again, I'm not a big dude. And it's funny you you said you stopped because or you changed your your tipping because you noticed the guy had cauliflower ears and you noticed his sweater. Now I got a mild cauliflower, but I got scars on my face to tell you something. But I think it's also different factors, like people's size or whatever energy that they. This give nigga off. was ripped. Yeah, he gave so, me when he was that kind to me. He yeah. was so he was like, bro, that's your two warnings, nigga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next one we gonna be in this motherfucker, you know? Yeah. So I'm saying like I I'm not a big dude and like I I I ain't never been in lifting weight. So like and then I don't train. I ain't even bigger. Somebody went off on me the other day and I'm wearing this shirt I got on and I'm looking at him like. Yeah, but wasn't he white? He was just. It was, I mean, yeah. Okay. You know they he they, they, they they're different. Foolish, they foolish. They foolish. But <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, I get you though, cuz. But you never, you never actually know what a person knows. Yeah, you you for sure don't. You never know. So yeah. I personally, in situations, I, I'm 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 deferential to people no matter what. Like most of the time, if they're cussing at me or yelling at me. First thing I do is I give them space. I give them at least four space, four feet away. So if they do do something, I got time to react. But I'm also like, like my dad said, like I said, I started off training martial arts for self-defense only, not for like the ring stuff. So my dad always tell me, you tell a person three times that you do not want to fight them. But in between each time you tell them, you're looking for something to hit them with. So... You know, street fights and ring fights is totally different. So, yeah, you you, you be nice to a person on the street because you never know. Ty, what brought you here? Before I get into that, I also want to say, like, I think that and even how Brad met you, that's also a mark of somebody who trains and engages with, you know, engages with violence in that way because yeah. a lot of people don't even have the foresight to be like, hey, bro, like, this, I mean, we when we all grew up in places, we understand, like, hey, this could get really sick yeah. really fast. I understand what I'm capable of, and that just informs me to what you might be capable of. So let me not be an idiot and crash out and instead yeah, be like, I know that hey, I can my- throw him, but this <clears throat> nigga can grapple. I don't like my odds. He can throw him, too. And he can throw him. And he can throw him. And, that, <laughs> and that, I think that's, like, you know, that that's the mark, like I said, of folks who engage with violence in that way from a realistic standard. Like when you hear people talking hella crazy, like violence is absolutely nothing. And I'm that's like, a big thing on the on the on the quote unquote left. Yeah. Like yes, on Twitter, is, like you see, right? You you're not active in these spaces, but like you see people talking a lot about what they would do to somebody, and like oh no, not like niggas, quote like, unquote what? Like the black left, like the black academic leftist lean, like pseudo nationalist type of shit. We're like, people you see on the internet. Yeah. You're not on the internet, but like we talk wait, about politics. Wait, wait, you said the 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 black left, like black the left. academia. Yo, it's like the left. So-called black socialists, so-called yeah. pan-Africanists, so-called revolutionaries who don't do anything material in the world. They don't organize no programs. They're not outside. They oftentimes have fake 
uh, profile pictures on the internet, you would not know them from a can of paint. So like those the, are people yeah. you'll see talking about violence in very like nonchalant ways. So like the right being Republicans, authoritarians. No, no, I get oh, you. Yeah. I, I, mean, I just, I just, because he said the black left. I was like, okay, I get what you said. Um, there are people who identify as that. Interesting. Black I, leftist. I wrong. I wrongfully identified that at times. I probably thought I was a black leftist, but oh, wow. you know, <laughs> revolutionary nationalist is, is the correct application. See, I, I, I personally, when people ask me, like I. I the only monikers that I like to have people say, first and foremost, in this order, in this order, human, Muslim, black. That's it. Uh, everything else, I align myself behind that. First and foremost, I'm human. And like, I, I, I wish, I thought the pandemic was going to remind everybody of that shit. Like, that we're just all humans. Like, like no matter what, what where we are logistically, the borders that we're in, the language that we speak, the food that we eat, we still humans. I'm just waiting for the aliens to come down and make us all honest. <laughs> serious. I don't think that'll do it. You think we still gonna be funking if the aliens like we gonna probe them all? Yeah. The, the white people, say, white people, the white people gonna try to cage the alien. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, ooh, this, what you thought? Was gonna come, a new human drop? Okay. Gonna come here. You, you gonna, gonna be too? No, gonna, yeah. You exactly. gonna be? You gonna be right there? That factory too? Exactly. You thought you was coming down here? I want here. Exactly. <laughs> Amazon. Colonialism knows no bounds. Hey, DoorDash. But what brought me here? Um, I think was just trying to be accountable to the politic, right? Like it's we recording this during Black August, and George Jackson is a major pillar of this, right? George Jackson very clearly said on multiple occasions, y'all need to study, train, fast, and fight. Um, I was into working out, but I was not doing no training for fighting. You know, you grow up, you have small squabbles or whatever, but I'm like, I gotta fill this void in my life. I gotta figure it out. I talk this shit on the internet. I'm outside in real life. I'm a part of programming. Um, it's only, it's realistic that I may have to participate in some violence of this form. Um, and furthermore, like, how do we talk about revolutionary struggle, armed struggle, and we afraid to get in the gloves or afraid to dedicate some time to training um, or at least trying to prepare ourselves for that physically and mentally. So what brought me here was trying to be accountable to the politic. And I'm a nerd, right? So I do my homework. I try to see what the lay of the land is. And I stumbled across an interview with Rod. And, you know, I was privy to Muay Thai and the benefits of it and why it was so effective. But, you know, I don't, like you said, it was one other black person training with you. It was one other African that you encountered on your journey. Um, so when I seen Ross speaking, I'm like, okay, I can't tell where he's from, but you're either that, from. That was here, though. If you go to Europe, right. it's crazy. Right. It's only black people training. But in the, in the landscape of the states, I'm like, I'm listening to you speak. And I'm like, I don't know exactly where you're from, but I could tell you from L.A. or Oakland or somewhere where it's black folks like you, an African I can relate to. Um, and I didn't even know the, the rich history of you and Muay Thai, but I'm like, this is a place I got to go check out. And you didn't speak to this, so I want to fill in that gap. Y'all start looking at Muay Thai gyms around. You know, no offense to places, but you're going to see big-ass American flags on the wall. I see a lot of shit on Instagram with the um, the Blue Lives Matter flag in the background, and I'm like, that's not a place I could be. Zionists. Yeah. So, <laughs> so here at CMT, you know, we got a bunch of flags on the wall. I see the Pan-Africanist flag. We got the Palestinian flag, like, that, that's part of the culture of this place. And so I didn't start finding out about your history until I got here. Mm. Um, but similar to how you said, like, the people that trained you is, like, divine timing. That's how I feel being here as well. Because this place, you know, it's got a strong lineage to the history of Muay Thai taught by African with political consciousness. And, and that means something. And when you think about the what gentrification is doing to this place, like, people talk about gentrification in a very, like, passive way. But, like, bro, this is, like, one of the last. And I know... You know, you love everybody, but this is one of the last 
black establishments we got in the town. Absolutely. Especially, <laughs> especially in the North. Like, you know, especially I, in the North. We talk I about justification. Noby. Noby. I, I jokingly say, like when everybody was like, oh, Black Lives Matter. And I'd be like, yeah, come spend some money with me. No, for real. That <laughs> hey, Black Lives Matter on a gentrified property. I had to go back to something you said that Brother Jackson said. And I had to like, again, I told you I'm a human and then I'm a Muslim. So I'm going to touch on some Islam right now. What you said about what Brother Jackson said that people should do is actually Sunnah. That's what Prophet Muhammad said too. You got to fast. Mm -hmm. We got to have some prayer on that too. You got to fast. You got to train. You got to keep your body straight. So yeah, it's all good. Mind, body, and spirit. You got to always be a connected. Got to always be a connection. How about you, boss? Shoot, you know, uh, being in the warehouse with the little sessions we used to have in the warehouse and being gassed, <laughs> just boxing and shit, and just doing whatever, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, for sure, not being gassed is definitely <laughs> helpful. But uh, I think I remember uh, having COVID, and the one said, oh, I started Muay Thai. I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, all right, that was like one thing I looked forward to, to being COVID was being able to start Muay Thai. And then hearing about you, hearing you Muslim, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to pull up. You know, and then obviously everything here is very, uh, I feel like football and rugby teaches you a lot of uh, life lessons, a lot of uh, team lessons, a lot of like uh, just being on teams and how that how, how that trains you. But and a lot of those lessons I learned was definitely uh, applicable to my life now. But I'm like rugby. What did that do for me? Like in an everyday situation, you know what I'm saying? Football. What does that do for you in everyday situation? Out, yeah, I mean, I know. I, worst come to worst, I'm a <laughs> tackling nigga. Over. You feel me? Like that? That's for sure. Yeah. But this is like some real practical, uh, real practical, especially what we claiming, you know, yeah. um, to be. You know what I'm saying? As revolutionaries, right? I got to train, like actually be taught how to train, not just go hit heavy bag by myself yeah. and develop bad had bad habits. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been training has been. It's been super dope, definitely, especially coming from the background of college athletics and stuff and having uh, hella injuries and shit associated with that. So, like, relearning, relearning to just uh, to train, you know what I'm saying, especially after being out of it for a bit after uh, college. So it's been definitely a blessing, definitely a blessing. Yeah, that's why I was, like, just – it was – you, know, you keep talking about, like, divine intervention and stuff. Like, I'm glad Ty came in here and then to find out, like – well, you feel me? You and my cousin know each other from high school. Hey, we cut your hair. Let's like, give you 100. AB came here AB was first. the first person? Oh, I thought it was time. No, AB came here so long ago. I think probably, when did y'all program start? 2017. AB probably came here 2017, 2018. Damn. They never mentioned it. They, they never like, this is like. <laughs> Let no. the record show I did not get here through AB. Oh, I, I, I didn't know. So I didn't know. That's why I'm like, well, Ty was the first thing yeah. to come in. Because like, one day, I don't know if you remember this. One day I walked in and I remember I had parked and I looked. And I'm like, is that AB's car? Like, that looks hella familiar. And I walked in, I see AB. Oh, no, you remember I tried to introduce y'all uh -huh. or something. I'm like, oh, like, you don't know. This is my comrade. What you do? You're like, oh, I've known this person for years yeah, before yeah. you. So that's another divine intervention. Okay. Me and AB both ended up here, but Small totally world. I mean, AB from down the street. So, yeah. <laughs> AB was supposed to be yeah. coming through. But you got like, Thinking about this, you know, my, my grandparents, they just sold it this year, but they had a house on 65th and San Pablo for like 60 years. And I used to get cut out one for all by yeah. Terry. And, you I, feel and me? I'm, I've known your cousin since yeah. 11th grade. Yeah, you know, okay. it's a lot, of, a lot of North Oakland history in here. But definitely, I'm glad we got you on here and was able to give you like your flowers and shit because 
like I said, I play ball, football, sports, my whole life track. Mm-hmm. But like, you easily one of my favorite coaches. Appreciate you feel that. me? Easily one of my favorite coaches. And it's wild because like people respond like, bro, you ain't never seen them crackers in Idaho talk to you the way you think Rod talking to you crazy. <laughs> and he really fuck with you. Like he care. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. had honestly, man. That, that's the one thing that I like. I I've tried to navigate. Like I don't know when I start to care, but. <laughs> I, no, I, no. Listen to me. Listen to me. So when I, I, the thing that happened with me in Muay Thai was, I've never not been a teacher while I've been doing Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. Like I've been teaching all along while I've been learning. I'm yeah. gonna say that again. I've been teaching all while I've been learning. So the game for me as a teacher has been kind of weird because I could never put myself too above my students. But at the same time, I'm like, I have to keep this in perspective because you got to do what I say because you don't know what you're doing. Whereas my trainers, like they never acted authoritative unless we was on the, on the mat. Outside of that, they acted like big ass fucking kids. <laughs> no, I, like horrible. Like, like I don't act nowhere near like them. Like, like I expect some modicum of like, I'm the trainer, you the student. Yeah. They were never like that, but I just gave it to him one because the one if I didn't like the next hour he was gonna be standing across the ring from me, piecing me up. So I'm like, uh, I'm gonna do what you say. So you, so you hit me a little less when you know what I'm saying. But when I started teaching in here, especially uh, in this place, because I was teaching at another place. Like I taught at, I've taught at the YMCA. Let me just say every place that I've ever trained i end up teaching mm-hmm. so at the y i started i end up teaching at the y but the y was like a it was more like a cardio class like i would let people hit pads but it was a lot of like taibo s type yeah, stuff and, ta- and taibo was out at the time so most of everybody in my family used to be like rod do rod do taibo i was like no That's i insane. i do muay thai he a black belt or mm-hmm. billy excuse me billy, billy no so billy blanks no disrespect disparaging to billy blank billy blank actually did taekwondo okay because taibo is funny because the associate muay thai with taibo is is so black it's so I, heard, <laughs> I remember my mom used to have them fucking vhs let me just say it because so like so like if you tell a black boho wait if you tell if you tell a black person you go into thailand I've had so many brothers say, are you messing with them Taiwanese girls? And I'm like, no. They Different go, why not? You going to Thailand. I'm Nigga, that's not That's, that's Taiwan, Taiwan, brother. <laughs> that's in Taiwan. Thai girls are Thai. So then, so people used to be like, you do Thai bow, right? I go, no, I do Muay Thai. It's like this, that's the same thing. I go, no. no. Thai bow is spelled T-A-E. B-O. B-O. And T-A-E is actually Korean. Has something to do with kick from Taekwondo, mm-hmm. and then bow stand for boxing. So it's not even the same, but it's kind of like you know how a white person will say, African, black people, they're the same. We are, but we aren't. You get what I'm saying? Y'all they get? don't understand the landscape. They don't understand like yeah. like yeah. Africans and black people. We got we, we're, we're not. They, they lump in all our cultures. Yeah, 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 and that's the same thing people do with Asian culture. It'd be like, yeah. I don't even think Korean and Thai people even like each other. So, you know, but <laughs> it, it, it's, it's crazy. I was a Thai dude with my family for a long time. I wanted to ask, you said that the entirety of the time you've been learning, you've also been teaching. Yes. Um, what has teaching done for you? You know, we are a revolutionary nationalist organization. So teaching is a huge part of our huge teaching, thing for us. Teaching honestly made me 
learn and be more respectful of the things I was learning. Like teacher made me a better fighter. Hmm. Teaching made me a better practitioner of Muay Thai because I had to really dissect it. I had to really like bring it into myself to actually be able to exude it to someone else. Mm -hmm. So like when I yell at people about learning how to wrap their hands, <laughs> the story goes, I went to King's and then like I had like a box. It wasn't like I, I was trying to, cause I actually, I've done professional boxing too. But when I, the first boxing trainer that I ever worked with, he was like, all right, jump rope. And I jump rope, I warmed up. And he was like, all right, go, go wrap your hands. And I was like, I, I, I don't know how to wrap my hands. And he go, you went to high school? I go, yeah. He go, you do some college? I go, yeah. He go, well, fucking go figure that shit out then. Whereas I, I'm not like that. Like it, it's the joke is in the history of this place, like I never really want to wrap guys' hands. Excuse me, sorry. I don't know. Uh, I would I would wrap I would wrap the ladies' hands. And then the guys were like, Rob, not gonna wrap your hands because you uh, I was like, Yeah, yeah, don't be sexist, but yeah, I don't wanna wrap your hands. But then now I can't be that way. Now I gotta be equitable and wrap everybody's hands. I don't care who you are, I wrap your hands. But although I want you to learn how to wrap your own hand because Everybody loves independence. It's, yeah. Independence is beautiful. So usually I will give you, you know, five days to figure out, and, but I'm going to wrap your hands in the meantime. But again, like when I was coming up, like I, the people who taught me was a little bit heavy handed, whereas I had my moments, like I'm not heavy handed at all anymore. But there was a good bit of time in this place specifically, oh yeah, I was. I was an iron fist in a rusty glove. Mm. It wasn't even a velvet glove. But I was purposely being hard because my trainers were purposely hard on me. Because there's a Thai saying. They say, uh, train easy, fight is hard. Train hard, fight is easy. And I firmly believe if you train for an event and you make it as the training as hard and maniacal and just dastardly as possible that event you're gonna do is gonna be a piece of cake you're gonna be like this is nothing like i i, I worried about this the whole time mm -hmm. so I, I think everything is just i think it's just a a calibration of the mind like if you if you look at something as daunting it's daunting if you look at something as easy it's easy i mean <laughs> i'm laughing because i'm just talking we all black men in america yeah, that could be. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm like, life is easy. Uh, think it is, about it. Think that about statement it. only extends so far. I but mean, that's a part of the mindset of navigating the world. Because in the Quran, it say, uh, all grace come to you by the grace of Allah, and all bad and calamity come to you by your own hand. So, I mean, it depends on what you're doing out there in the world. Hmm. I mean, yeah, this class is just, these classes have just taught me, uh, how much power I actually do have though too. And that's why I find Most it so definitely. valuable. You feel Most me? Definitely. Like it, it'll be times you be like, bro, like relax. I'm just yeah. like, oh shit. Like, yeah. I, like it, it made me feel I got more control over my body. And I think for anybody that's talking about shaping a new world, like a revolutionary, that shit is important to realize how much control you really do got. And I learned that in here, like, that's why I say it's like pushing me, pushing me. And a lot of us have, I mean, we talk about this all the time, like our generation, and it's part of the fucking propaganda and conditioning, mm -hmm. like, we do expect certain things just to be given to us, like entitlement. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like we've let our 
I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's just like definitely are. Yeah, it's like some entitlement. Psychological, the way neoliberalism and the propaganda is and made us entitled in. Like entitlement is a part of capitalism. And it's like we talk <laughs> about the day in terms of like, yeah, we are victims in a sense, but we don't have to assume victim mentality. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that as a part of like you said, us being black men in America, us being New Africans, us being New Africans in a uh, settler colonial nation, we are victims. Yeah. Of a lot, but you gotta take and responsibility what we do to fight back. Yeah, yeah. So now I, mean, I don't gotta just be laid to down and like I don't gotta be passive. Yeah, no, and that's not. that's what happens too much is like we've as victims people begin to perpetuate like victimhood to where yes. it's like there's nothing I can do. Like the world, like nah, bro, like reclaim your power. Yeah, you feel me? Anybody kicking revolutionary shit, talking about taking down the imperial beast that is the United States of America and all their transnational corporations, you need to have some fight in you, yeah. some dog in you, and the ability to control yourself and your destiny. And that ain't just coming from you because we can, you know, go read Revolutionary Suicide, go read Asada, go read Soledad, brother. All these people are talking from a position of fighting. They're able to identify, like, these are the ways I've been victimized. This is the way I'm, I'm under attack. But I'm here. I'm an active participant. I'm fighting. And B talk about all the time with, like, Islam, right? They talk about the first fight is with yourself. That, that energy high. You feel me? Like, you yeah. can't, you you can't with yourself. How are you going to fight against anybody else? A jihad man? is not like what the news say it is. People always be like. <laughs> Some extremist shit. Yeah, yeah. jihad extremist. basically means struggle. Yeah. That's all, I saw jihad yeah. means struggle. And like, you, 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 you want, you crave, you need. I mean, because life is nothing but a constant test. Every day you wake up, you just test it. Whether or not you're going to get where you got to go on time. Whether or not you're mm. going to have the fortitude to make it through whatever BS come your way. It's, it's all a test. It's all a struggle. So, I mean, that's what life is. I mean, from its inception, when we get shot into that birth canal, it's a fight to get to the egg. And it's a fight to get into the egg. So, yeah, if you can't fight, come on now. It's okay. Fighting is a good thing. If you fight for a good purpose, a good cause, it's not a bad thing. And if you're saying you're fighting for revolution... That's, that's a good thing. The highest yeah. cause. It's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> that, that's the highest cause. How has uh, Islam shaped your uh, martial arts and your uh, training? And your huh? Uh, well, so Islam <clears throat> is. I have been around Muslims all my life. Neither one of my parents are Muslim. I became Muslim on my own. The real reason mm. I came Muslim is because of old brother Malcolm, brother Hodge. Brother Malik. Um, I had two heroes growing up as a kid. It was Malcolm X and it was Bruce Lee. Um, I gravitated towards Malcolm X. I don't even know why. Like out of all the people that was put in front of me, everybody was put in front of me. The way I was raised, I knew I knew about everybody, but it was something about Brother Malcolm. I don't know what it was. Um I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. So like Islam came to me slowly, but it was there the whole time. But I took my Shahada when I was 12. And then I remember my mom asking me, why did I want to become Muslim? And she always reminded me, I told her the reason why I want to become Muslim, because when I made Salat, I felt like I had power. Hmm. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, like it's so many people pairing me at one time. And then ultimately, if you look at it on a global scale, if you think about like, say, if you go to Juma and if for those who don't know, listen, Juma is the one congregational prayer that Muslims should go to if they can, if it's permitted. Outside of that, Muslims like we don't like how Christians go to church on Sunday. Muslims go to church on Friday. Uh, 
But I realized that if you make Juma and you make, or, or if you just make Salat on time, you are praying at the same time with billions of people at the same time. You guys are all like-minded. So I've, I don't know what a revolution is. I, that, that's what a revolution is. But it's, you know, it's on a different level. And so how has it affected my martial arts? One, like in terms of fighting, I'm going to go to the, the, what you want in martial arts is the, the top is to have a fight and not kill nobody. Uh, but to have a competition with somebody else who's trained and prepared. One thing being a Muslim affords me is I don't have any fear. I don't fear anything but Allah. So like, that's nothing I'm worried about. Like when I fight, I don't think about dying. I don't think about, I'll be like, okay, he can knock me out. Uh, but that, that's it. So I don't have any trepidation. I might have some, I want to make the people who there, the people who I train with, I want to make them proud. But like, I'm not afraid. But then the other part about Islam that is dope in terms of martial arts is the actual Ummah. And the actual fact that when I've been doing Muay Thai for 26 years, I'm, I'm retired from the ring now. I can't even tell you the last time I had a fight. I want to say the last time I had a fight, I was like 33, 34. Um, but one thing I realized <laughs> after becoming, after, after being Muslim and then started fighting, I didn't realize how many Muslims fight in the world. And so like wherever I would travel in this Muay Thai world and even in the boxing and MMA jiu-jitsu world, you're going to always find some Muslims. Hmm. And if you go to Thailand, where they are come from, there's a lot of Muslims in Thailand and uh, like a lot of them fight. Like some of the greatest Thai boxers in history have been Muslim. So that has effect. And it's funny because I have one guy who fights for me off and on. He's off right now. But he's a young guy. When he first started training with me, he didn't really listen to me. <laughs> no one listened to me <laughs> that much anymore. But when he first started training, first thing he said, I was like, man, I salivated because he was a 19-year-old brother. He was the first, like, well, he's not the first. He was one of the first young strapping brothers i was like ooh, excitement excitement i could turn you into a killer <laughs> and but then he was like i don't want to fight and uh i heard a shake or imam say fighting is around and i'm like I I i'm muslim muhammad ali like what what are you talking about okay whatever i didn't want to argue with him and then i remember his dad came in it was the first time i met his dad his dad came in to me come in to meet me so i could talk to him to maybe talk to his son because his son had started not listening to him and his wife. So I was like, wait, what? And then dad was like, when you gonna get him to fight? I said, he said fighting is around. He said, what, well, you Muslim, what about Muhammad? I said, yeah, I don't know. So Islam it has helped me in martial arts, in life. And I always say it helped me because it's given me power to not fear anything but Allah. But the Umad, the Umad is great. Like to be able to go somewhere, hmm. they find out you Muslim, you gonna get a discount. Allahu <laughs> <laughs> Akbar. <laughs> and if, and if you go somewhere for the people who are uninitiated, us Muslims don't believe in interest. I don't know if y'all know that. Interest is wrong. I, I, I don't want to <laughs> say this, but I'm gonna say it. I do want to say it, but this is not. This is no castigation to my brothers who practice Judaism. I'm not propagating any anti. Semitism or anything like that, the Jews created interest. Interest is haram. 
Again, that's not being anti-Semitic. I'm a Muslim. Muslim people are Somatic people. Semitic people. So let's keep it 100. I cannot Straight up. This is true. Straight but up. Clear that up. Jews created interest. Interest. If you think about interest, not even on a religious level, it don't make no sense. You borrow twenty dollars with somebody. <laughs> no, 30, oh, you thirty five. <laughs> like, come on, that's some capitalist shit right there. It ain't even capital. I'm telling you, Jews created it. What's um, what advice you got for folks interested in in martial arts that might hear this podcast and be like, oh, I'm a, I'm uh, considering fucking with it. Do it. Do it. Okay, my advice. I'm gonna say I'm gonna be all like, like I'm old. My advice for younger people with interests in this world, in this life, do it. You only live once. Now, if it ain't no crime, it ain't gonna give you monkeypox or COVID, go ahead, try it. You know, you try it, you might like it. You know what I'm saying? Just try it. Try it. Me and, me and Boss got introduced to this OG the other day. Mm -hmm. um, Steve McCutcheon, Professor Steve McCutcheon. Okay. You know him? He, uh, I'll have to see his, face. his, he is from Baltimore. Okay. But he moved to Oakland. During that, during I think like '69 or something like that, he said. Yeah, when all the Panthers was. Yeah, he's part of the party. Okay. Um, and he he was a, he was a teacher at the at the community school on the, in the east. Okay. Um, but he opened their like martial arts program. What's the book we just bought? Black Black Dragon. I think it's called the Black Dragon. And it's like the book on like uh. The history of Black and Asian martial arts and the connection between it. I gotta see his face. Yeah. He's in his sixties now. Yeah. It's probably early 70s. Yeah. We gonna, have to see his face. Our hope is to have him. Well, he said he's down to be on the pod, but like ideally, like these these I two podcasts won't be too far away from each other. But he 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 done martial arts in the Bay. Mm -hmm. He was he was he opened the program uh, at the he, community at school. The community school in the East. He was teaching martial arts. What school? The Panther School. The Freedom um, School. Oh, this is back in the day. Yeah, back, back in the day. day um, back in the day. Yeah. So this um, is. Yeah. I don't know. So so the thing is is like I like I said I've been doing martial arts since I was five. So like. In the Bay, I know like the quintessential black martial artist. But this is the rub though. So like the martial artists, when we talk about martial artists who doing like 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 karate, kung fu and stuff, that stuff has kind of like died because of MMA. Like MMA, like like I'm, I'm no castigation. Anytime I find somebody still doing like traditional martial arts, I'll be like, wait, you What is traditional? Karate? So, so traditional martial arts would be the martial arts that okay i was about to say the martial arts that where you wear an outfit but then you wear outfit in jiu-jitsu the martial arts that predominantly if you've seen their school they mostly just train kids and there's no actual like touching like you don't really spar so i would say the traditional martial arts it's going to be a, a longer podcast but so you got karate right so normally most of the karate presented to the masses is cookie cutter traditional martial arts but then the 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 caveat to that is, is that there are people who still teach real karate where you actually hit people because let's not get this what was this shit with like uh cobra kai and all that shit that's karate that's karate yeah. so but let me get this, let me i'm trying to explain this is that so all martial arts in its inception was to, to beat your ass, mm -hmm. to kill people, to defend yourself. But somewhere down the road, like by the 70s and the 80s, certain martial arts figured out that they could just market it to parents to have discipline for their kids. But like they don't really learn how to really learn how to fight. 
And then next thing you know, you have a 10-year-old kid with a black belt. Whereas in the true sense of martial arts, if a person is wearing a black belt, they should be able to kill you with their hands. Yeah. Like straight up. But now you have martial arts school that you got like 30... 10 year olds with black belts. Like, I remember he said somebody he was like, I'm a black belt. Then it's like, show me what you do. And he was like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Yeah. So so when I say traditional martial arts. So he got into a whole routine. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's like, wait, what are you doing, man? Yeah. What, how have you tested this? And to bring this back to some revolutionary national yeah, shit, like, we, you know, we were talking about struggle. We're talking about mm-hmm. defending ourselves for political stances and yes. like one day struggle. So. People should be looking for things that are practical and practical. So, so don't be an armchair revolutionary. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Don't be an armchair martial artist. Don't, don't, don't have a black belt. But then, if somebody on the street walked up to you and swung on you, they'd knock you out quick. Can you give some example of directions that mar- directions within martial arts people could look towards, like boxing and Muay Thai? Oh, uh, so honestly. I'm not, I'm not here to castigate any martial art. I feel all martial arts have merit because mm-hmm. what it does, it connects you, your mind and your body together. Now, this is what you need to know. You need to know if you go into a martial arts to find a connection between your mind and body or you want to learn how to fight. I want both. <laughs> so if you want to learn how to fight, you're going to get a connection to your body because in order to learn how to fight, you have to connect everything. Now, if you want to connection to your body you can go to a place where you not necessarily learn how to fight capoeira now let's keep it 100 because we all black people right here now capoeira originally was straight i'm gonna murder you and i'm gonna put it under the guise of a dance because i've been stripped of my culture capoeira is not originally even should be called capoeira capoeira is what the name got turned into when it got to brazil Originally, it's called Angola Mm because it's from Angola. Mm -hmm. Now, the history of it was is that when the Africans came, because you got to remember, America stopped the transatlantic slavery quite early. They just started breeding us. Whereas the Brazilians, they kept the transatlantic slave going. That's why at certain points, Brazil in certain parts looks more like Africa than Mm -hmm. Africa. So... When we kept coming in Brazil and, and like I think even in the, in the Carolinas, in South Carolina at one point, there was more African enslaved, enslaved than it was white people. Mm. That's how it was in Brazil. But the Portuguese, unlike the British, they were, it, it was interesting because they wasn't like so pure and botanical. They wasn't so like, yeah, we're not having sex with them. No, no, no. The Portuguese had sex with us, and then they made a whole bunch of Abbas-looking people. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, crazy. But, but, <laughs> New but, Africa, no, right? no. <laughs> but, but the difference was there, because they got fresh Africans all the time, they was way more brutal with the slaves in, in Brazil. Whereas in Carolinas, they was like, wait, this is our money. We ain't going to get no more, so we're going to breed them, but we still got to treat them better than we would in Brazil because they're killing, killing, killing. So that's why when they created, when Angola became Capoeira, they used to, in Angola, it used to be elbows and punches in Angola. Mm -hmm. But when it came here, the reason why it ended up looking more dancey is because our hands was chained. So that's why we had to make it look like a dance. Also, 
the reason why they changed also because in Africa the drum rules everything. Mm-hmm. But when it, when the, when when they brought us to the new world, quote unquote, they outlawed the drum. The drum, we used to use the drum. We still use the drum. That's why in Africa and West Africa, they got, you heard of a talking drum? Mm-hmm. They had the drum that they put on the arm and go, because they used to like, I got, I, got, I got food, I got somebody coming. That was a way that we communicated. So they yeah. was like, yeah, get rid of that shit. So then mm-hmm. what we create, we created the birimba. The birimba, that's the, the, the instrument they use for copper water. They use the shekere. They use everything. They, they, they got the little, the little thing and they made different percussion things. But then that's when Cabo Water got real dangerous because they made it into a dance. And then honestly, the way they used to attack the slave owners, they would put razor blades between their toes. That's why a lot of Cabo Water kicks look like sweeping motions instead of striking motion because they want to cut Slice you the blade. Don't underestimate us. Boy. Guerrilla we warfare. All, we always doing something soul seed. Yeah. Guerrilla warfare. So, like, so Capoeira, like to the uninitiated, yeah, 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 whatever. That I mean, we had this kid at my school who used to do it like this white kid. He was yeah. just like, I think I'll beat your ass. Yeah. Like, that's how I felt about him. Like, yeah, nigga, I like, mean, you, you like, feel that like, way. You should feel that way because you like wait. And then this is another reason you should feel that way because deep down inside, you'll always see some white people loving Capoeira. That's what it was. Oh, man, that was the one getting that shit but cut off. You see black people like, oh man, fuck that shit. But black people don't know like, no, that's actually our shit. That's African Ours. art. That's yeah. our shit. That's we should be excited warfare. about that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And can, my, my introduction to Capoeira, I know we go on a slight tangent about it, but part of the reason it looked like dance was to disguise that these Africans yeah. who were under the gun yeah. were actually training. Yep. So they wanted it from the outside to look like they was dancing, yep. carrying on, whatever, but they was training. Yeah, because they always revolts. wanted us to dance. You feel me? <laughs> they oh, always yeah, do that. Oh, yeah, do that, do that. It ain't bothering oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, feel you know, like, yeah, you know I got what you. They used to do when we was on the slave ships. Mm-hmm. And then we would be under there for a long time. They would bring us up. And it's a trip because. The dance that they made us do, it was some, it was the shit that the Scottish people came up with. And but now they attribute it to us. Uh, it was like the jig, and then you know we end up being called jigaboos. That's what. But it's like it's crazy. It's like wait, we dancing the way they told us to dance, but now it's associated with us. <laughs> Just like fried chicken, that ain't shit we came up with. That's Scottish shit. Like Scots created fried chicken, but now we always associate with fried chicken. But I take the watermelon one. I like Bro. watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Well, not funny. We was in when we was in Ghana. They was we was at Christianborg, which is you know one of the castles. Yeah, where, yeah. Uh, and they was talking about how like you know they would tell uh, Ghanaian folks like you know come and dance. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Get them drunk and they ain't even realizing they pulling off from the dock. Yeah. yeah. Pulling off from the dock. Yeah. Feel me? So you going on there to dance, to entertain, and they feel me? They they getting you drunk. Yeah. So you feel me? You. You they use that alcohol a lot. Not even knowing that you They're feel me, you. that you leaving. Yeah. They but which is even more sick is though, while you were coming to dance, while your other natives were, you know, below deck, and now before you know it, your ass right down there with them. Ain't nothing else but revolutionary warfare. Yeah, <laughs> we got no other options when we dealing with but folks on the, like that. On the topic of Capoeira, like we talking about Muay Thai in contemporary times or or combative martial arts in contemporary times, like Africans have been training. That's been a part of African resistance since we have been oppressed. Since they were stealing us on ships, Africans have mm-hmm. been getting together to train. And that's why I value this spot, this spot too, and that all of us are like, you know, now we, me and him able to come. Sometimes I come just me and Ray, mm-hmm. me and AB, you know, like me and Yemi is different, different groups. And so I think any folks that's 
out there and we again trying to manage work you work and school you know we but we making time for it and so you just can't have no excuses if you're gonna be pushing this and y'all out there organizing especially if y'all running programs and y'all posted where these programs is it if y'all ain't got no kids y'all ain't got no excuse shut up you know, like, <laughs> too many people post the work that they do where they gonna be at and people know where y'all at period point blank and we get situations you hear about groups who leading uh community learners are leading protests and unarmed yeah. white folks come up there and shut it down come on dog <laughs> can't have none of that like go ahead and get you some training bro get you some training a couple of days a week Don't five go a five way. two three san pablo Avenue. if you in a town that's mandatory if <laughs> cmt you in town, athletics that's mandatory. Come <laughs> cmt boys come through is there any last pressing questions y'all want to ask any last what's once you know uh again Five five two three San Pablo Avenue, Oakland, California. If you're nervous, it's in Emeryville, but it's really in Oakland. <laughs> no, seriously. Like back in the day, we used to market the gym. We used to always tell people Emeryville because you know people used to be have trepidation about Oakland. I'm like, oh, it's Emeryville, and then they show up and be like, are you sure this is Emeryville? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I be getting pissed when they tell me it's Emeryville. I'm like, it's ain't Emeryville. It's the North, North Oakland. It's Emeryville Oakland. is actually if you walk to the back of the fence and then hop the fence, you're in Emeryville. But then it's weird the way Emeryville swoops around because if you go like up the street and to the right is Emeryville, but then if you go to the left it's Oakland. It's, it's yeah. a weird place. It's a weird place. Emeryville is not real. Colonialism. Right. Yes. Colonialism. Yes. Yes. Redline and colonialism. Colonialism. Right. No sense. But actually, y'all know the history of the city? Of Emeryville? Yeah. No, built, built on the okay, indigenous I'm, peoples? Okay, but outside of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, all of this yeah. is built on indigenous people. No, they oh, sacred yeah. burial around the yeah. So that's, that's Bay Street. Bay that's Colonial. No, but I'm saying Emeryville in itself, the city used to be called Rotten City. If you ever want to get like a more educational, you go down to, I think it's Shellman Street. It's a, it's called a Rotten City Pizza. You mm -hmm. ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. There's a plaque. It is going to tell you a lot of stuff. So this city used to be like where all the den of iniquity stuff happened. It was kind of just like how Chinatown in San Francisco used den to of what? The den of iniquity. It's like what where the gambling, mean? all the vice. Oh, okay, okay. So, so in my lifetime, it was the Vegas of the East Bay. <laughs> yeah. So, in, so let me tell you, in my lifetime, it's like up until I was, up until I was in the tenth grade, all of San Pablo, like from where uh, 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 CVS is, mm. you know where CVS mm -hmm. is. From CVS all the way to where Pack and Save is. Mm -hmm. yeah. On both sides of the street, the only thing that's still there Oaks Club. is Oaks Club. Yeah. The only thing that's still there is Oak Club and black and white liquor. But everything else on both sides of the street, the bank is still there. That liquor store is, is still there. Kentucky Fried Chicken was still there. But everything else, all those buildings used to be all gambling houses. Mm. What, what year was it? Or wait, like what this time is up you? until I was in the 10th grade. Okay. That's okay. crazy. Up until the 10th grade. So I got in, I was in the 10th grade in 91. Mm -hmm. No, but I'm saying all gambling houses. And then if you was like, so you know, pack and save. And if you go across the street, pack and save, you know how it's kind of split. Mm -hmm. So if you would go right behind there, it's like a new apartment they built. Yeah. No, it's actually on the corner. It's like a, it's a fub place. So that pho place, it used to be a a, a, a brothel, like a rub and tub. Mm. Like 
chicks behind the counter and everything up in there. So it was quite popping. For Bro, because you got, I, I didn't see, like I said, my grandma stayed on 65th in San Pablo. Yeah, like, this is right when there. the blade. The blade. Was That's when it was the blade. Ooh. Rolling, yeah, like, I'm talking about, bro. I didn't see Wild Wild West. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Wild Wild North. <laughs> wild, 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 wild. <laughs> say, I just seen stings and shit. Like you always, you can always tell, and it was like uh, filming an undercover pig. Cause like, bro, your calves is hella big. You out here in a miniskirt when your calves is humongous and you got shoulders. Like, and, and you work that, out. You feel me? Like, is you ain't. If y'all ever seen the Mac, are we still alone? Yeah. We're still oh. <laughs> If you ever seen the Mac, watch the Mac. You ever seen the Mac? It's the Mac. Yeah. You think? Oh God. Uh, if I watch it, I watch it. Like okay, one so the time. Mac. But I'm familiar. Actually, the Mac was actually shot right, like parts of it was shot right on that corner right yeah. there. Like when I say that corner right there, I mean that corner like where that outside gym is. If you go right across the street, it was another liquor store. It was called. It was like it's a black and white right there on 40th and San Pablo. There was a black and white right there. That Goldie, when he was in his car, he pulled up right on the adjacent to that. This was the, that shit. It was shot all around here, and then uh, yeah, this 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 was the uh, throw. This was you know what I'm saying slamming those and 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 uh, you know pimping and ism and all that stuff. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna bring that stuff out. Oakland <laughs> <laughs> history. Yes, sir. Hella black episode 134. Tap in.